0: While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swinger high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand around the ring you go, a grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe From any deputy gal to Georgia. The fact is that the Civil War or the war between the states, or the War of Northern Aggression, or Lincoln's War, whatever you may call it, touched every aspect of life in the South. Stories about the war have been passed through families and spread out as soldiers, refugees, opportunists, and the displaced moved through the country during and after the war. There are good stories to tell, and I will tell a few today, The difficulty is that the factual basis of some stories is sometimes clouded or obscured through retelling or poor recollection. Some stories weren't written down for two generations or more, and some simply can't be confirmed for lack of evidence. It doesn't make it less of a story or less a part of the South's heritage. We're here in Northeast Georgia. This is Moving Through Georgia, Episode 3, The War Comes Home. In the last podcast, we discussed the discovery of gold in Georgia, and gold wasn't the only thing being taken out of the ground in this area. In Habersham County, iron was being mined near what is now Demarest by the Habersham Mining Company and was brought to the Habersham Mills. You can still see it today, including the dam that was built for power. The historical marker on the site states that rifles and cannon were manufactured there for the confederacy and once in a while while doing research on the Habersham mills I heard a story that there were cannon at the Chickamauga battlefield with Habersham ironworks stamped on them. This was too interesting a story not to look into. This is not the first time I'm going to quote a roadside marker and not the first time I'm going to question the validity of what one of them says manufacture of guns especially iron cannon takes large heavy specialized equipment the Habersham mill closed and later reopened as a textile mill and still stands today visiting the site you simply don't see remnants of heavy equipment or outdoor fixtures that may remain from heavy iron casting all right they may have cleaned it up or they may have sold the equipment lock stock and barrel when the mill closed that's not conclusive evidence However, I wanted to check that claim and since Chickamauga is quite a drive away, I did send an email to one of the historians that works at Chickamauga National Park. He emailed me back about the artillery at the battlefield. He said there are 256 cannon at the National Military Park and all but a handful are of northern manufacture and none of the southern manufactured ones are made of iron. No cannon here is marked Habersham Ironworks, and I am not aware of any so marked surviving Civil War cannon. So what are the facts? Iron was mined in Habersham and processed in some way at the Habersham Ironworks. Any mill open for business during the war supported the local economy through jobs and money from manufactured goods. The mill did support the war effort. It's possible that the iron mined in Demarest could have been sent to other mills that were already configured to cast weapons. But even if this mill were turning out things like roofing nails, they were still providing jobs, money, and needed supplies. The workers at the mill supported the soldiers. There is even a small cemetery set back from the main buildings of the mill, and at least one Confederate soldier was buried there. You can see his marker today. There were people supporting the Confederacy working at that mill, and this was the home front for those soldiers defending Chattanooga and Atlanta. In June of 1864, Sherman's men fought the Confederate defenders at the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain. In July, there were scattered actions along the Chattahoochee River in places like Howells Ferry near Duluth. And toward the end of the month, Union forces were settling in to bombard the city of Atlanta. This battle and the resulting actions around the city, before Sherman turned his forces southeast toward the sea, brought fighting to northeast Georgia for the first time. A large group of cavalry was sent to surrounding cities to disable the railroads and supply lines into Atlanta. The main group of this unit was attacked and captured, but two brigades evaded the Confederates and escaped. According to Ray Chandler in a really good book called The Last Days of the Confederacy in Northeast Georgia, a scouting party from one of these brigades took the town of Watkinsville on August 2nd, looting some supplies from local stores and homes. The Athens Home Guard was alerted and mobilized and took up a position along Barbers Creek, about three and a half miles from the town. When about 80 Union Riders were spotted on the other side of the creek and after a short pause while each side waited to determine the intentions of the other, four shells were fired from the Confederate line. The Union Riders departed the area and warned the men of the main force of the defenses Athens had in place. Soon after the Union cavalry was attacked in an area known as Jug Tavern and that's within what is now Winder. and either about 200 or 400 Union soldiers were taken prisoner. They were held on the campus of the University of Georgia before moving on to Andersonville. The Southern Watchman newspaper called this great excitement as this was the first squad of Yankees who had visited us since the beginning of the war. In counties of Northeast Georgia, like Habersham, Franklin, and Banks, there may not have been open combat with blue-suited Union forces, but there were still war-related violence to be dealt with. Bandits and groups of deserters roamed the hills, raiding the homes the men had left to defend and stealing food they needed before fading out into the countryside. The Georgia Encyclopedia states that the high tide of Confederate desertion took place immediately after Sherman's Atlanta campaign. And the last days of the Confederacy in Northeast Georgia quotes a minister named Josiah Woody from Lumpkin County who declared a year earlier that a line of robbers was breaking into homes, stealing money, guns, and provisions. In 1863, the governor of Georgia sent badly needed Confederate troops into the area to combat lawlessness and these bands of raiders. A Georgia historical roadside marker on 441 in Baldwin relates a story that was passed down through the area through word of mouth. A story about a battle called the Battle of Narrows. In October of 1864, Sherman was well established in Atlanta and was planning to begin his march to the sea in a month. The cavalry raid into northeast Georgia and the Battle of Barbers Creek, which was the last sighting of blue uniforms in the area, was 30 miles to the south and three months in the past. On October 12th, however, a raiding party began to move through a mountain pass in what is roughly the northeast corner of Banks County where they were attacked by a native force of what has been described as old men and boys and possibly some CSA soldiers on leave. The defenders were successful and the raiders left the area and its resources alone. That's about all we know. Here's the problem. This story is mostly hearsay. There are no union records showing any raiding party traveling as far as Banks County. There is speculation from different researchers who have looked into the battle and who will tell you that any cavalry commander could have sent a small raiding party without clearly documenting it in his orders, or that any group of cavalrymen could have simply gotten lost. But that's all there is, just speculation. Sherman had no plans to move in that direction at this point, and the amount of plunder a raiding party could bring back from Banks County to Atlanta, well, maybe it wouldn't have been worth the trip. Could this have been a group of homesteaders defending their property from any of these other groups that were known to rob the area at the time? There are some questions here. What can be said is that on October 12, 1864, a group of southerners defended their homes, land and families from a group of raiders who had come to do them harm. The nature or identity of the raiders doesn't diminish the bravery of those who stood and fought to keep them out, and those people defended what was theirs as well as the professional soldiers in grey. Don't think I'm diminishing the contribution these people made to the war effort. Again, these people were the home front. While fathers and sons were off in uniform, these people were making sure that their communities were safe and worth coming back to, and they deserve their share of credit as well. I do have one last note on the home front of the Civil War, but before I do I want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast mostly of Northeast Georgia If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review or telling a friend. We'd love for you to share it. If you have any questions or comments, I can be reached at movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. That's moving through Georgia, all one word. I'd love to hear a good Northeast Georgia ghost story that I could share with the listeners around Halloween. But if you have any other comments, be sure to send them along. One last note. We do have one fascinating bit of documentation from the Civil War. The southern states were blockaded, preventing trade with European countries, which meant the South lost access to an important resource, and that was salt. Salt was used to preserve food, to set dyes, and was involved in other industries, mostly to preserve food at home and for soldiers in the field. Widows of soldiers were allotted a half-bushel for free, while families of active service members paid a discounted price. Salt lists are available throughout the South and show the names and status of different families in the region. For example, a salt list for July 1863 in Banks County lists 312 names of wives of current Confederate soldiers and 66 widows of deceased soldiers. Also, 20 widows whose sons were in the army, and 7 disabled veterans, all available for free and reduced cost salt. It's a good place to start when you're looking up a family status in the home front of the Civil War. Just a note, the extra music in this episode was the Lily Bell Quickstep downloaded from the Library of Congress. The other left for the old left hand Around the ring you go A grand old right to left walk On your heel and toe From an pretty gal to Georgia That's all